want to dismiss our kids for workshop. Come on, let's make some noise for our children. I, I can't believe Vanessa dissed Father Fred. What's up with that? Come on. So they, were, they, were, they were teasing me this morning. We were, we were out, uh, out on our patio, and, and, uh, and Vanessa said, I don't think it's fair that you wear the same costume every year. And, and Claire said, yeah, Dad, what's up with that? And I said, envy is a terrible sin, a terrible sin terrible sin. So, all right. So we are going to have fun. So I, I hope that you do join in with us. We like to have a good time and uh, here at City Life. And so people on the platform will all be in, uh, in costume together. So uh, I hope, and it's also just a great weekend to bring people that, uh, that you know, that, 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 uh, that maybe are uncomfortable with just church settings, if that makes sense. It's just a welcoming environment to be in, and the food is just absolutely delicious as well. And so we have a great meal that we share with each other together out there in the foyer. So, hey, before we get into a, the uh, message tonight, we're in week two of a series that we're launching, Circle Maker, because that's the book that we're doing uh, together in our life groups. It's not too late to sign up for a life group. And so if you've not connected into one, uh, we like to invite you to do that. They're meeting all over the area from Williamsburg all the way down onto the south side into the Hampton region. And so this is an amazing book. We picked this book. It's, it's not a teaching-specific book on prayer. That's one of the reasons why we picked it. It's like an autobiography of the life of Mark Battis Batterson, who's the pastor of a, of a, a group of churches up in, uh, in the D.C. area in Northern Virginia. And he's such a person of prayer. And this book is really the story of his life as a follower of Christ and as a person of prayer. And so it's just absolutely inspiring. And so I hope that you take the time to read through that with us. But if you've been following us on social media, you know that we're making a big announcement tonight. And so we uh, did some vision casting in September, and we talked about how we wanted to expand our staff. And we really felt like God was speaking to us about our creative arts uh, department, which is what you just experienced. Come on, isn't our worship team fantastic up on the platform? And then back there in the tech booth. And, and so we've been praying and talking with people. And, and, uh, and so our, we, we, the candidate that we had really uh, zeroed in on, our governance team met with him just recently. And so this past week, uh, we finalized things with him. And so his name is Chris House. So I uh, know. So it's great when Nate Nowatney was putting these pictures together, he, he superimposed the City Life Church sticker right there on his guitar. So we we're like, Chris, love that. You're like, you didn't know it, but you were destined to be a part of the City Life Church. So he's local. He grew up here in this area, went to high school here. He's a teacher in the public school system in Hampton. Uh, he's been in ministry with his family uh, at a church that they planted uh, in the Hampton area. And uh, he is an amazing musician. He's got a bachelor's degree from Hampton University in music education, an incredibly, incredibly gifted musician, and then just has an amazing heart for worship and an amazing heart for people. So sometimes it's hard to find people who are, who, are, who are gifted in the arts and then also really have a passion for people. Those two giftings don't always go together. And he has, but that picture in the lower right with that smile, on his, that's Chris House. Just gentle and kind and caring. And, and I think one of the things that really sealed it for us in our hearts when we were meeting with him this month, and he met with the entire governance team, which is brave, right? All 10 of us at our house and just, just bombarding him with questions. And, and, uh, and one of the questions that was posed to him was just, what's your dream? What's your dream. And he, he thought for a moment, and he said, my dream is to be a part of a worship team that is reminiscent of the Old Testament, that when David played music, that the evil that troubled Saul had to go away. And he said, I want to be a part of a worship team that creates a worship experience, that when people come in, even if they don't realize they are troubled, that it just has to go away. And we said, when can you start? 
When can you start, right? And so he just has a great heart. He's out of town this weekend, and so we are excited for you to meet him. He's going to be a part of the band uh, the last weekend of this month, which I think is next weekend. And, uh, and then he's just going to find his way, get acclimated, jumping into a band. Is, if you're a musician, you understand it takes some time to get acclimated, and so he's going to ease his way into that, and we don't know when he's going to be leading worship for the first time. And he's going to start part-time. Because he is a school teacher here and his contract runs out of the end of the year. And so he'll be just Newport News here through uh, the rest of this year starting in January. Uh, Williamsburg is going to roll into his portfolio. He'll continue in a part-time capacity but even in a, in a greater way. And then our plan is to bring him on full-time uh, at the end of the school year in June. So let's just, before we jump, let's just pray for a minute. Father, we thank you for this place that you brought us to. We thank you, God, that, that just, just several weeks ago that, uh, that, that, that Chris was a stranger to us and we were a stranger to him. But oh, how you have knit our hearts together in just a few short weeks. We thank you for the gifting that you have put in his life. We thank you for the calling that you've placed upon his life. And we thank you, Father, for the journey that we are going to have together, loving people in your name, creating a worship experience that awakens people to your abiding presence. To, to be a part of the fulfillment of the dream that he has and the dream that we have, that there is a supernatural, sacred side to this worship experience that you have called us to have that even evil itself cannot withstand. We pray your blessings upon him. We pray, Father, that, that the giftings that you have put inside of them, him, that you're going to stir them up all the more and that we are going to fulfill everything that you have placed in our hands together. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody said together, amen. So when you see Chris, uh, give him a warm city life welcome uh, when he's here. Also, he has a great beard, doesn't he? It's like, come on, I know, yeah. Juice is good, we have to work on juice. He's got hair up here, though. The rest of us can't grow it up here. So he's got it, he's got it up there. So I was telling somebody, this creates the illusion that I can still grow hair. That's the, the mo motivation for my, for my beard. So you all are quiet tonight. I know. All right, so a rabbi and a priest and I walked into a, no, I'm just kidding. I'm going to loosen you up just a little bit. All right, so we, we're starting uh, the second week in our series. We had three points that we were going to get to in this message last week, but uh, we only got to one. We felt like God spoke to some things to our heart prophetically in the worship set, and so we're going to do the last two uh, tonight. But before we do that, let's just do a little bit of recap if you weren't here. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, never stop praying. And so we shared this quote from Brother Lawrence, this idea of a sweet and delightful life that's, that's, that's born out of a continual conversation conversation with God. And I shared with you that my interpretation and my understanding of this command that Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica, never stop praying, it's, it's not so much about a conversation with God that is unending as much as it is about a conversation you keep coming back to. So we had some fun brainstorming things that we always come back to. Like somebody said their driveway, they just, right after they just keep coming back home every day. Prayer is that. We're, it's something that we just keep coming back to all the days of our lives. We talked a little bit about Adam and when God was walking through the Garden of Eden after they had eaten the forbidden fruit and he asked the question, where are you? And so we talked about this, the, the importance of this idea about our spiritual geography and that, there, that, that prayer is a place that we go to. Prayer is a place that we come back to. Prayer is a place that we live in. And we'd use some illustrations about the zip code and addresses and we use that as a metaphor to say the zip code of prayer is 1T517, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. That regardless of where I feel the most at home in this natural world, may it be that I will always feel out of place until I return to the place of prayer. 
our hope is that when we get to the other side of this series, that the volume of prayer, not, not as, 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 as far as the, the noise, but the amount of prayer that comes out of our lives is going to increase because we've gone on this journey together. So we talked about this idea last week of a heart that loves. And so I've got three things that I'm going to talk about. If we want to pray more, it's really a heart change that has to take place inside of us. There's learning. We're going to do some learning together about prayer tonight. But really, if we're going to pray more as devoted followers of Christ, something has to change in here more than it has to change up here. And last week, we talked about this idea of having a heart that loves. We talked about this idea of affection. We said that when I look at Jesus, I find someone who lived in a place of prayer. His mouth was filled with prayers to God because his heart was filled with love for God. We use the reference in Luke 6, 45, where Jesus says, out of the overflow of a person's heart, their mouth will speak. Is that we're, If we're going to be a person of prayer, that we've got to have a heart that loves God deeply. So the two I want to do tonight is one is that a heart that commands, and then we're going to get to a heart that believes. So we talked about affection, now we're going to talk about authority, and then we're going to talk about anticipation. So a heart that commands. Heart that commands. I'm of the mindset that prayer resisting the devil is more about not undoing the work Christ has done as opposed to us having to do a work that Christ left undone. Let me read that again. I'm of the mindset that prayer resisting the devil is more about not undoing the work Christ has done as opposed to us having to do a work that Christ left undone. There's lots of teachings and lots of streams of teaching about what it means to stand in a place of intercession, what it means to stand in a place of praying against the enemy. I'm going to share my own personal views on that tonight. It might be a little bit different from yours, and that's okay. It's, it's okay to, 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 to be in a church where there's healthy dialogue about what do you think this means and what do you think that means. And so I hope that if maybe you come from a stream that's a little bit different from what I'm going to talk about tonight, I'd love to talk about those things. Shoot me an email. You can message me on Facebook. We're easy to get a hold of. But let me, I just want to share some things. As I look into Scripture, what I find. And so this text comes out of Mark chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. Mark chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 23. It says, Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. Now, they, they've just, the religious leaders of Jesus' day have just accused him of using the powers of darkness to perform the miracles that he does. It says, how can Satan stand, how can Satan cast out Satan, he asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself... How can he stand? He would never survive. Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder? I like that word. Plunder his goods. Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Now, I believe that when Jesus is giving this illustration, that he's giving an illustration for what he's doing. That Jesus came into this earthly realm, which was the house of the enemy. He's stronger than the devil, and he came to bind him so that he could plunder his house. And who he came, the reason he came to plunder was for you and for me, right? This idea of, of rescuing, this idea of redemption, that he came to rescue us from being enslaved to the power of sin over our lives. So when he died on the cross and raised himself from the dead, the Bible tells us that he conquered sin and death. And in that moment of conquering sin and death, Jesus became bound for all of time and for all eternity. 
I don't think that Satan is Harry Houdini. You with me? He's not David Blaine. He, he's not the supernatural magician who's able to unbind himself from the work that Christ did because everything that Jesus does, he does perfectly, he does completely, and he does with all power. So, so when Jesus came to this earth, he bound the enemy, and now as followers of Christ, we stand in the authority of Christ, we rest in the comfort of knowing that we fight and battle against a defeated foe. Sometimes I ask the question when I hear people pray or when I sit through sermons or read certain books and, and maybe delve in and, and look at different streams. I like to look at different streams of teachings that might be a little bit different of, of, than my own. It, sometimes it feels to me that people posture themselves as victims instead of the victor. Sometimes it feels like to me when I'm reading those books or hearing people pray that there's almost though in their heart there's a question about whether or not they're going to overcome. It almost feels like to me sometimes that when I hear those kinds of prayers, there's a, there's a question, the devil might win today, but he should not win because he's forever defeated because the work that Christ did is a finished work. That's part of the declaration that Christ did on the cross when he said it is finished, one of his last sayings on the cross. So, so if, you, if, you, if you embrace this idea of this text in Mark chapter 3, that the devil has bound, that he's a defeated foe, then it might be that your thought goes, if you're familiar with scripture, to 1 Peter 5, 8 and Ephesians 6, because it seems as though a picture is given to us of the devil that kind of contradicts Mark chapter 3, and we know the Bible cannot contradict itself. So if you've got your Bible, turn to 1 Peter 5, 8. I'm going to read out of 1 Peter 5, 8. All right, listen to what it says. 1 Peter 5, 8, stay alert. Watch out your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It doesn't sound like someone who's bound, does it? Let me read that again. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I'm going to go down to verse 9. It says, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Now let's jump over. To Ephesians 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 10. So this is Paul wrapping up his letter to the church of Ephesus. He says a final word. Here's another familiar phrase. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm, right? Let's repeat it again. Stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So when we read these two texts in 1 Peter and also in Ephesians, it seems as though a description is given to us of our enemy, of a person who is unbound. And how I reconcile these two texts together is this idea that you are vulnerable to the influences of the enemy whenever you're outside of the authority of Christ. That this idea, this picture of the devil being a, a lion that's roaming about seeking whom he may devour. That he's unable to devour us when we stand as a part of who Christ is because we stand in his authority. And this idea of the devil being bound means he's bound read. Does that make sense? There's limits on his ability to access you if you stand with Christ. 
So that when we stand with Christ, even though he might be roaming about, even though he might be seeking whom he may devour, when I stand in a place of devotion to Christ, I stand in a place of protection, and I also have a place of authority over him. Matthew chapter 18 I think is a little bit misunderstood when, when people use this. You'll, you'll hear people talk, they'll, they'll use phrase like binding and loosening, and they turn to Matthew 18 to support that. But I think Matthew 18 is a misunderstood text. I'm not the only one. It's not a radical thought. There's many people who believe this, that when, when, when Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you'll loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, it was a very specific rabbinic phrase that he was using. It was a, a, a local phrase that we've lost because it's 2,000 years later. But in his day, in his time, when a rabbi would bind and loose, it would be a phrase that they would use as they interpreted the Mosaic law, and they would apply the Mosaic law to their contemporary life, and they would bind certain things, and they would lose certain things. It would mean that when, you, when a rabbi would bind something, it means that you're not free to do that because of my interpretation of the Mosaic law. Or he would say, you're, you're loose, you're free to do this because of my interpretation of the Mosaic law. And so I believe, as many do, that when Jesus used that phrase, that he was commissioning the apostles to expand the canon of Scripture. Now that's a, another sermon for another time, but if we want to use use the concept of binding in prayer, we're supposed to turn to Mark chapter 3. And when we turn to Mark chapter 3 and use that understanding for our language in a place of prayer, it changes the way we pray, doesn't it? Because now it should be, and this is how I pray, Father, I thank you that the devil is bound. I thank you that Jesus did a finished work when he died on the cross. When I pray for our church, when I prayed today for our church, when I prayed for the service, that's the language that I use. Father, I thank you that the enemy has bound. I thank you, Father, that every assignment that's been given to every principality and power on high, that you have given us authority over those things. And I pray that our church will stand firm and that we will be strong. These phrases, to be strong and stand firm, these are not phrases that are given to people that are hoping that they might win. These are phrases that are given to people that stand in a place of victory. Paul wrote it. Peter wrote it because it's the same author, the Holy Spirit. It's, inter- it's powerful to me that these specific phrases, be strong and stand firm, they both appear. They both appear in both of these texts that talk about the enemy. It's supposed to give us a picture of victory, not the picture of a victim. It's supposed to give us a picture of someone who stands securely in the finished work of the cross of Christ. And we pray for ourselves as the Lord's Prayer instructs us, lead us not into temptation. Which means that we would not be led away by the depravity of our own heart. The only authority that the devil has and can ever have over us as devoted followers of Christ is authority that we give him over ourselves. The undevoted, a person who's never made a vow of devotion to Christ, is completely and helplessly vulnerable to all evil influences. The devoted, evil only has power that we give. In Ephesians 4.27, the same letter where we read just in Ephesians 6, Paul gives us this famous phrase where he says, do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give him a foothold. He's a defeated enemy. Don't give him ground that Jesus has already taken. Don't give him a place that he's already been removed from. That word uh, foothold is the Greek word topos, which gives us the word topography, which ties in beautifully, doesn't it, to this idea of our spiritual geography. You have a life that you're supposed to protect. It's, it's your garden, if you can use that metaphor from in the beginning of Genesis, that, that you have a garden, that your life, your sphere of influence, that you're supposed to have domain over. 
Jesus says to you and he says to me, don't give the devil a foothold in your life. Stand in the authority that you have been given. I think one of the reasons why we don't pray as much as we should is because we don't realize the authority that we have. I think one of the reasons why we don't pray as much as we should is because we forget that we're supposed to have a heart that commands. And I think sometimes that people are fearful to step into those places of prayer because they're not sure whether or not they're going to be successful. And these texts are given to us. Paul's writing to people. Peter's writing to people. Pray. You've been given authority. You're praying against a defeated enemy. Stand in a place of intercession for yourself, for your family, for your loved ones, for your church. Be strong and stand firm. Now, my prayer changes a little bit when I'm praying for someone that's never made a vow of devotion to Christ because I believe that those people are susceptible to evil influences because the Spirit of God doesn't live inside of them. And so when I'm praying for these services each week, one of my prayers that I often pray is that, Father, I pray that people that are coming tonight that have never made a vow of devotion to Christ and evil influences are operating in their life, I pray that in Jesus' name, when they, when they step onto this property, that they're stepping onto sacred ground and that only the influence of the Holy Spirit is going to be able Able to speak to their will. So I pray those things, right? So your, your prayer changes who you're praying for because those people are in different circumstances and in different situations. And then I pray for those people that when they come, that they're going to make a vow of devotion to Christ so that when they step back off of this property, there's something in them that wasn't there before. And they begin to discover the authority that they have. And when those evil influences begin to try to re-enter their life, that now there's a growing sense of authority. There's a command in them that says, I'm done with that. I'm done with you. We, as devoted followers of Christ, can give the devil a foothold in our life from walking, I believe, in a place of repeated disobedience. I think that's the wisdom that we get from Ephesians 4.27. That's how you give the devil a foothold in your life. I don't think you're, you're, you're sinning your way out of heaven, but I do think you can sin your way into a place of trouble because of the influence that you open yourself up to. That when you step out from under the authority of Christ, that you invite yourself into a place of susceptibility. It's another sermon for another time, but there's a whole way that we walk you through learning how to pray to step back under the authority of Christ and displace the influences that maybe you've made your life susceptible to. Matthew 4. When Jesus goes out into the wilderness and has his moment of being tempted by the devil after his baptism, you do not find him worrisome. Do you? You don't find him engaging the devil with a mindset and a heart that, I don't know if I'm going to win today, right? You don't. You, you find, when you read these encounters, these three interactions that he has, which we've done a sermon on this, where the devil tempted him with the, the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those were the three places of temptation. You, you see Jesus interacting with the defeated enemy. You see him interacting with the defeated foe. You, you see it now. You say, well, he's not even died and, and, and raised himself from the dead, but the Bible tells us that he was crucified from the foundations of the earth. So the Son of the living God stepped into this earthly realm with the authority that he has always had from the beginning of time. And the devil was trying to draw him out, right? The devil was trying to draw Jesus out through temptation so that he would step out from under the authority of the Father. And Jesus, even though Ephesians hadn't been written, the principle stand, stood true. I'm not going to give him a foothold. And he engaged him with the word of God and with the authority that was in him as the son of the living God to give us a picture of how we're supposed to interact with temptation when it comes. 
We stand in a place of victory. We don't stand in a place of being a victim. We stand firm and we stand strong. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. So this is Paul wrapping up this great letter, Ephesians 6.18. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. And, and not next week, but the two weeks after, I'm going I'm to teach and talk a little bit about what I believe that means in part. There's a lot in that phrase, pray in the Spirit. But we're going to talk a little bit about what that means, especially in relation to Acts chapter 2 and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going we're gonna to teach on that for a couple of weeks after next weekend. And so pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Listen to what he says, stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Paul's giving this command not because he wants the church to stand in a place of fear, locking all the doors and the windows, hoping that they're going to make it. That's not the context of these, this command. This command is, hey, recognize the authority that you have. Stand in a place of confidence. You are a victor because you are in Christ. Stand firm. Be strong. Pray always. All right, you ready for number two? A heart that believes. A heart that believes. You had a snack a little while ago. What did you, Stephanie brought you cookies, did she not? She did. I know. Stephanie's like the stewardess of the City Life Church. And then she brought Vanessa some water. Those cookies look delicious, by the way. I know, I know. I need to get some of those myself. All right, I'm a little distracted I'm, by my hunger. All right, a heart that believes. So we talked about affection, we talked about authority, and I want to talk about anticipation. So a heart that loves, a heart that commands, and a heart that believes. So I am, as a human being, living with a camo restriction. There's a rationing in our home for camouflage wear. You with me? So, so when I got my first iPhone a few years ago, I was very excited because I got to get the camo case that came with it, Right? So, so when I got into the shooting sports a couple of years ago, I've, I've done uh, sporting clays and upland bird hunting for many years, but then my, my interest in shooting sports expanded. And so Vanessa and I had a conversation about that, and she said, I'm okay with more hunting and more guns and having and carrying guns, all those types of things. But she said, I just want you to know, if I ever get up in the morning and you're getting ready for work and you're putting on camo for everyday attire, that we're going to be in marriage counseling that evening, Right? <laughs> So, 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 so if you're wearing camo tonight, not to offend you, okay, but, but, but so, so Vanessa, she said, that's where we're drawing the line. That's where we're drawing the line. So when I got my iPhone, I said, can I at least have a phone cover, right, that has camouflage on it. And so that fell within my, my restricted area of camo wear. Are you with me? So, so when my contract came up for renewal not too long ago, I was all excited because with the iPhone 5, they also had a nice camo case. You with me? So there, there was already a, a precedent that had been set, right? Permission had been given. And so every camo case I tried, none of them fit for the new iPhone, right? You could wiggle it around. It would shake. There was lots of space when you would touch the screen. And I went to about five different retailers, and, right? Because these things are just made on an assembly line. So I thought maybe it was a bad run. Every case I tried, none, none of them worked, not, not any. So I settled for just a solid black one, and I despised that phone case, right? It was a constant, this is my only kind of camo that I can have in everyday life. And so, and so, so, so eventually the black one, it wore out sooner than it should. And so I have my own tech support in my house with my son, Derek, D-Show, Me-Show. And, uh, and so he helped me get online. And Otterbox has amazing customer service, amazing lifetime warranty. And so he took pictures of the black case and, that I had and, and wrote all the problems that I was having. And then you send a message about what you want to happen. And so in the message box, he typed out for me, 
the story of my camouflage, right? <laughs> right? And then I always sign things like that, the Reverend J. Frederick Michel, right? Yeah. And then sometimes I send him a picture with my collar. No, I'm just kidding. So I'm, I'm doing whatever I can, right? And so in that, I tell the story about how I wanted a camo case and I couldn't, none of them worked. And I said, if you want me to be a really happy customer, when this box, because they only will give you the one that you have because they know people will abuse it, right? And they'll just keep sending in new ones to change up when they get bored. And so, so I said, if you want me to be a really happy customer, when we open this box, it will be a camo case for the new iPhone 5, right? So the box comes on the day. I'm not there, but my whole family, they understand. My children, my passion for camouflage, right, that's restricted to this one little small tiny. Maybe I'll come as Duck Dynasty maybe next week, huh? Maybe that's it. Can I do that? Yeah. It's a little back and forth here, right? The me show. So. All right, so, so we open. The, I'm not even there, but they're all excited to, to open, open the box. And, and, and lo and behold, what's in there? The new camo. That's good customer service, is it not? From Otterbox, so just giving them a, a nod tonight. So wh why am I telling you that story? Why am I telling you that story? Because the moment that box came to our house, and everybody's gathered around, and they're opening to see what's going to be in there, there was an emotion that was in everybody's heart, and that emotion was anticipation. There was a feeling inside of them of they just couldn't wait to see how it was going to turn out. Now, you understand that emotion. You've felt that emotion before, whether it was for a phone cover or something small like that and insignificant, or maybe it was something bigger, a promotion that you applied for, financing for the house. You're with me? You have felt the emotion of anticipation. It has stirred in your heart in this life. And God says to you, and he says to me, when you pray, feel that. When you bend your knee and talk to me, your heavenly father, the creator of the universe, not only do I want you to have a heart that loves me, not only do I want you to have a heart that understands the authority that you've been given in Christ, but I want you to have a heart that believes, that anticipates the goodness of who I am. Mark 16. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Verse 2, I want to read this, Mark 16. All right, I'm down to verse 2. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us? From the entrance to the tomb. Who's going to roll it away? Now, now one of the things I love about this story is they had already bought what they needed. They had purchased all the supplies. They had bought everything as if they already knew that they were going to have access to Jesus' body. It's interesting, isn't it? It's a little detail. If you read it too quick, if you read the Bible too quick, you'll miss all these nuggets, right? Sometimes we have to slow. And sometimes it's not about how much we read, right? Read, slow it down. And you begin to see that, hey, these ladies, they've got all these things in their hands. They're, they're laying down with all these supplies, and they're looking at each other. Who's going to roll away the stone? And you begin to realize that these women, they had hearts that believed. There was a sense of anticipation that was in them, where they said to themselves, we don't know how it's going to happen, but we've prayed, we've given it to God, and we trust that great things are going to happen. 
We're even going to go as far as spending our money on things that we know that we're going to need to have when we get there, even though we know in the natural it could be wasteful. Because they anticipated something remarkable was going to happen. If you've never read that, you should keep reading it. If you're not familiar with it, when they got there, come on, the stone was rolled away. A heart that anticipates. All right, let's look at John chapter 6. I slotted this in as we've been reading through the Bible this year. We're into the Gospels, and we got to the feeding of the 5,000 this week. I'm going to start reading in verse 5. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. So you you see there's this moment where anticipation rises in his heart, and then he lets it die, right? Because he follows up. But what good is that with this huge crowd? All right, and here it comes. Jesus says, right? They're just waiting for, what's Jesus going to say? Tell everyone to sit down. Now, I know I'm reading into the text here a little bit, but I think in that moment, anticipation just swelled in all of their hearts. Just, it absolutely swelled in all of their hearts. You ever been at the beach? We love being at the beach. It's one of the places that we love to vacation where we like to unwind and, and relax. And sometimes you know you're at the beach, right? And you're there with your boogie boards and you want to body surf. And, and, and you look out and it's just like a lake out there. You with me? It's just flat and it's just still. And sometimes that's nice. But when you want to play in the water, it's a little bit boring. And so you're just hoping, you're looking out, you're craning your neck out onto the horizon. You're hoping to see something to begin to swell. You with me? You're hoping that something's going to begin to swell out there. And then that first swell, it's going to bring just a series of waves behind it. And all of a sudden, the surface of that ocean is turned up. And you're out there having a great time. And so here we see in this text, they're on this hillside. And it's 5,000 men alone. So it would have been a crowd in excess of 10,000 people. And spiritually, they're just flat. They have a need, and they don't know how it's going to be met. And then when Jesus says, I want everyone to sit down. In fact, he breaks them down into groups of 50, if my memory serves me correctly. I think in that moment, all of a sudden, something began to, there was a ground swell of anticipation in everybody's heart because they knew that Jesus was about to do what Jesus did. He was there that day, I think, for many reasons, but for one, he was trying to teach people who were going to follow them how to anticipate. He was teaching them, give your heart to this feeling of anticipation, this phrase that we've turned loose into our church and we cast vision for the rest of this year and the coming year. In September, we talked about the, this idea of come up. We said, hey, with God, there's always more and his more is always better. When you let that phrase begin to take root in your heart, anticipation begins to come alive in you. All right, I'm going to invite the, the band to come back up. I want to read out of Isaiah. I want to connect this idea of anticipation. This idea of anticipation. Isaiah 64. To prayer. Isaiah 64. We start reading in verse 1. Listen to what it says. It says, Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. 
how the mountains would quake in your presence. As fire causes wood to burn and water to boil, your coming would make the nations tremble. Then your enemies would learn the reason for your fame. When you came down long ago, you did awesome deeds beyond our highest expectations. And oh, how the mountains quaked. For since the world began, no ear has heard. This is where Paul reaches under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he's writing to the church of Corinth in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we pulled from this last week. For since the world began, no ear has heard. No eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. You welcome those who gladly do good, who follow godly ways. But here, here's where it turns. But you have been very angry with us, for we are not godly. We are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? We are all infected and impure with sin. And when we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall. And our sins, they sweep us away like the wind. Here it comes, verse 7, right? So Isaiah is prophesying about in days of old that Israel was a place that had the heart that anticipated. They anticipated the goodness of God, that God had been good and he had moved them in, them in great ways. But at some point they began to give themselves over to the depravity of their own hearts and they lost their ability to anticipate the goodness of God and listen to the conclusion that he brings in verse 7. Yet... No one calls on your name or pleads with you for mercy. It's powerful, isn't it? Right there in the text, he's saying to us, if you lose your ability to anticipate the goodness of God, you will come to a place where you stop calling on his name. If we are going to pray more, if the volume of prayer is going to rise up out of our lives greater than it ever has been before, then we have got to give our heart to a love for God. We've got to give our heart to the authority that we have in Christ. And we have got to give our heart permission to anticipate His goodness once again in spite of the circumstances that you might be walking in, even if you have every reason to despair. That maybe tonight, that you would say, I want my heart that anticipates to beat again. I want it to come alive because I too believe that with God there is always more and that his more is always better. Stand with me as we worship together. Seated in 
Santo. 